Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be with you all this morning. Thanksgiving Sunday. Happy Thanksgiving, first of all. And uh, today is a good day. October is a good month. Um, it is a good day to be alive. And our God is a good God. Amen. Amen. I want, I'm here to speak with you about just the significance of what the Great Commission is and perhaps how personal it can be in a city like Toronto. I just flew in from Dallas um, spending a week um, at a conference regarding church planting. And it's a multicultural city too, but I am Toronto born and raised. I remember going to University of Toronto at Vic College for Humanities, for Philosophy and Religion, and here I am a couple decades later, um, and you see the city change. And you see the faces change. And in many ways, Toronto, especially this church being so close to U of T, it's a transient community in many ways. And yet God, our sovereign God, pulls these lives together. And you and I, in this season of thanksgiving, who have received the salvation from Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, so freely, what a season to be thankful and to reorient our thinking for purpose on this side of heaven. And you may be transient too in this community, but my goodness, you are here today. And there is a story that God's placed into you that speaks of his redemption in your life. And that calls us to consider seriously this command that is given to the church in Matthew 28. And as we get into unpacking that a little bit, I do want to set the stage with a couple other things that will help us understand the gravity of the Great Commission and perhaps our posture and how we go out and make disciples of all nations. And when I look at the community here and I look at the city out there, this is a city of all nations. This is a season of globalization. Pastor Nestor shared about the migration patterns, whether it's because people immigrate, because they're volitional, they choose to, or because they're forced out. This is a city that is very globalized. It is a day and age when travel, conflict, we are connected and you cannot undo this. The toothpaste, so to speak, is out of the um, tooth, um, toothpaste tube. And this is the world that we have. It is a good thing. There are challenges clearly that come with it, the cultural conversations, the conflict, the histories that accumulate. We do have a history in this country that needs to be reconciled with our indigenous people groups. The church needs to have a role in that. And as we reach out the refugee program here, what a fantastic thing your community is doing. I love the idea of that tour of this city so you can get a heartbeat of what's going on here, the people and the faces that God has brought into your vicinity, that you are his hand and his feet. Love the prayer that was given for the children, that they may be the presence of Christ where he has placed you today. And you may be somewhere else six months from now, 10 years from now, but you are here today. And every moment counts because every person counts. One of the struggles that I have when I think about the Great Commission, understand that great is an adjective that is placed there by human editors. Like Jesus doesn't say, this is the Great Commission, but he does say there is a great commandment. There is the preeminence, if you will, of the two greatest commandments. In Matthew chapter 22, there are different variations, but in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is speaking to the teachers of the law, and somebody asks him this question, what are the great commandments? What is the greatest one? And Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if these two 
It is the greatest commandment to love your God, and the second one is equally as important, to love your neighbor. You understand that this undergirds what we have called the Great Commission. In other words, how we do this thing called evangelization, how we do mission, how we do the mission of God is, is as important as doing it. It's not just let's go out and talk to a group of people, make sure they say the prayer, check them off our list, and move on. There's a posture in how we engage with these living beings. And one of the things we begin to understand, one of the scriptures that our sister read for us was in Revelation. At the, and that's the tale, and there's this vision, if you will. We'll get to that in a moment. But at the beginning of all this, there is a passage in Genesis that talks about every single human being, man and woman, being made in the image of God. The dignity of every human being, they may be, in a refugee camp somewhere. They may not be as educated as you. They may not be in the same socioeconomic status. They may have a different worldview. But every single human being, whether they know Jesus Christ or not, is made in the image of God. And when we enter into relationships, because we carry the gospel message to other people who are made in the image but have yet to meet their maker, to know who Jesus Christ is, that dignity... Treating people with that dignity as you welcome them into your city, into this community, into this church, into your homes, into relationship with you, that matters. The Imago Dei, the image of God, is significant as we go on the mission of God, the Missio Dei. And that too undergirds the Great Commission. In John 3.16, most people know this, I should say, for this is how God so loved the world. And my goodness, just this past weekend, some of the global news out there, this is a broken world. And yet God so loved this world. He gave his only son that anyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It is not our it is not ours to deny this gospel, but to carry it out. And when the Bible tells us that God so loved this world that he gave his only son, there is sacrifice in there. If you think that loving this world is easy, you have got the wrong religion, you have got the wrong God. It is difficult to love your enemies, especially when people groups have histories that are accumulated with things that we do to each other. We come to relationships sometimes with prejudice and bias. Everybody does. Everybody does. And to sort that out so that it, we're not leading with that, but rather with the heart of Christ, that takes internal work. That takes an understanding of how much God loved you because you were part of the world that he so loved. And then understanding that loving God, love your neighbor, all with the gratitude that is so characteristic of this season. Now this is our city. This is our world. This is God's world. And the Toronto demographics, the globalization, the migrant numbers, you know the city, especially if you were born here. If you walk these streets, if your church is here, you know some of those faces, the smells, some good, some bad. You know the noises that you're familiar with, the rhythms of the city. It is something else to drive downtown to, on a Sunday, isn't it? And you know the cultures. Spadina has always been known as far as I was born as Chinatown. And there's a new Chinatown, Uptown, but this is old school Chinatown. Christie and Bloor, that is old Koreatown. You know this city. You are here 
to be his hands and feet. And in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus also gives something very clear. We call it the Great Commission because we hold it in gravity, but it should not be, the, it does not supersede the Great Command to love God and love others. It is how we do this thing we call the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So there is a promise of, of Jesus' power and authority. This is not power and authority to lord it over others. Welcome to my city. You will have to do things our way. There are certain rules and laws that we all have to obey. But there's something to be said for Jesus who himself said in the gospel of Mark, I have not come to be served but to serve. That authority, that power laid down to win people over because there is a greater, there is a greater purpose to be had. There is an eternal purpose to be had. What we do in this life certainly does echo to eternity. And we who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who takes us to eternal life because there is a better world than this. That is what God promised through Jesus Christ. He tells us that he has all the authority in heaven and earth, and it's been given to him. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Every single people group. We do not pick and choose. We are not better because we received the gospel before another people group. In fact, that is a debt of grace that we pay forward. Missionaries two centuries, maybe close to three centuries ago, came to the peninsula of my heritage, Korea, back then it was known as Chosan. And because some young person, and they were young, the missionaries that took God on the boat, bringing their coffins along with them, because they knew that they didn't have planes back then, and they knew that they were going to die there, or that was their intent, they came to the peninsula, and many did die. And that's how I stand before you, because somebody cared. It matters. And in this day and age where, again, the I feel like sometimes God says, listen, you didn't go far enough, so we're going to bring all the people to where the churches are, right? And the resources that North America has, the North American church, the Christian community in Canada, to be able to serve those and win them over, that's something that we have to leverage. And so we go and we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That is the essentials that should bind all people, all people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many different denominations, we know that. I was just speaking with Pastor Tamika about the fact that I was with some Baptists down in Dallas. Here I am, Knox Presbyterian. I was um, brought up in a Presbyterian church. But these, there is an essential elements of what we believe that bring us together. And so we go and teach people about who Jesus is. We baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. There's a couple things there. There's a promise of Jesus' power and authority at the front, the bookend of that. And the other bookend is the promise of Jesus' presence. This is significant. There are many things that humankind can do out of our own brilliance and creativity. Something like a building like this, right? If you ever go to old Europe, my goodness, the vaulting cathedrals. It makes you wonder how they did it back then. There's an ingenuity. Because again, as people who are made in the image of God, he's a creative God. And so he's imparted that upon his sons and daughters. There's something to be said for the power, and the pro so the power of Jesus and the promise of his presence. And that's where we touch upon Acts chapter 8. We cannot do this thing alone. No matter how eloquent you are, 
no matter how well-spoken you are and you memorize the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion or any of the many number of tools there, if the spirit does not go with you, there's something about the human heart that needs the power of the G Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's our help. That is the presence that we are promised. And as we teach people to obey, in this city, it is significant that you have membership class, that you have Bible study, that you have community. Because as you evangelize to someone the word of the Lord and the gospel, you invite them into a community, that is where you teach them. It has always been a problem when Christians will go from city to city and stadium events, if you will, without the backing of actually discipling the individuals that say they want to know who Jesus Christ is. And that's the significance of having a church like Knox with its history, with its place in the community. And that also entails that we are also learning and being discipled ourselves even as we reach out to those who are coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to grow together in community. And in Acts chapter 1 and 8, um, 1, 8 I'm going to unpack this a little bit further. Again, there's two things that we actually need to do to obey Jesus' commission to the church. Money is not one of them. It's nice. It helps. But it's not essential. The early church did not have that kind of fund or resources. The churches that are persecuted in the world, they do not have that. And the work that I do with finishing the task, I am astounded all the time by how God moves without money. He moves through people. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the two things that we need. One of the, both of them, actually, God has provided. One is the Holy Spirit. And that's why in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. Because, you know, they're all like, they've seen Jesus ascend. And he's given them this command, and they're like aching to go. And he says, wait, you can't go. You need this one thing. You cannot go scuba diving without a, can a canister of oxygen. You can try. It's not going to turn out very well for you. And he says, this is the one thing you need. So you wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The other thing is you need the body of believers. You, we need each other. Because I've got a story and I've got an ethnic expression and I've got a certain life story that reaches some people, but I cannot reach everybody. The strength of the church in this globalized world is the diaspora. It is the diversity. It is the fact that there are people groups who are unreached and unengaged, but there are anthropologically closer people than me in the West. And that's the power of the diversity of the church. That's the partnership. That's the unity that we need to work on. And that will persuade an unbelieving world that there's something about this God that is not like the politics that are so polarizing these days. It's not just cultural exchange and trying to try other people's foods. There's something so humanly deeper than that. The image of God in each and every single one of us that we appreciate the different languages. They are not barriers anymore. But they're like these bridges that help us reach those who have yet to hear. There are still people in this world who have not a single Bible verse in their language. That's the problem. There's a great group of Bible agencies that are looking to solve that quickly, especially with enhancement of AI. Let's use these tools that are given to us. But let's not forget that the main resource, it's human resources. And how beautiful are the feet of those who bring that good news.
We have digital highways these days, as well as the actual roads that people go on, and we need to use them all. And in this city, where people are coming for all sorts of reasons, with all sorts of broken stories, some of you guys are immigrants, my parents were the immigrants. That is not an easy life. And yet, as Christ walked that road with you, and you walk the road with them, you understand the difficulties of what it means to come to a country without many, without the language, without familiarity, without knowing how to get your driver's license, how to use the trans transportation. Those are real things that refugees and immigrants face. International students who are away from home, it's great for the first few months because you're away from home, and then there is a loneliness that sinks in. And for those who have those experiences, I firmly believe that God allows these moments of human life on this side of heaven to touch us, not to break us, but to make us stronger witnesses because this world is a broken world. And those are the stories that this community has as your resources. Those are the stories that were given to you, not so you can keep them to yourself in shame, that's the lie of the enemy, but so you can be redeemed as Christ works in you and you can use it to reach others who are going through very similar human experiences as you. We are, in, a, in addressing the gentleman's question, we are expressions of who Christ is. He lives in us even as we walk on this earth. There's this passage in John 17 where Jesus prays and he says, I pray that they will all be one. This is not easy in this world. Again, we come with our hurts, we come with our prejudices, we come with different languages, different worldviews. What is important, okay, very simple, perhaps innocuous example. It, it's very difficult for me sometimes when people are elders to call them by their first name. You've got to tell me a few times to do that because in my culture, you never do that. I've grown up until my young adult years not knowing the first names of some of my parents, some of the, my friends' parents. It's just not the way we do it. Is it bad or worse? It's not. It's just a different culture. And in all of these things, we learn that God has made things beautiful. And every culture has their idols. And so how do we as the body of Christ bring all that is good together so that we are unified, so that the enemy does not get a foothold to divide, because he will divide generationally. This generation is this way. This young generation, oh, there's such snowflakes or whatever word that is used pejoratively. We do the same to the older generation. This race of people, my goodness, how we color a person and we color a whole people group with some of the stuff that we think about them. But every individual, again, is made in the image of God. And so when we talk about this unity, perhaps in this body as well, not easy with the cultures, the different worldviews, the languages, the different styles of communication, right? You wish that someone would be direct to you. I was born and raised in the West. I was educated in the West. It's the most um, default type of communication. But I know when I go into a highly um, East Asian culture, there's a different way that we communicate, right? It's not as direct and forthright, and yet you have to pick up on some of these nuances. Am I better or worse than them? No, it's just a different way. And yet these things can be barriers as we receive people into our communities. And on top of that, there are different personalities. There are people out there in your community, in this church, who love to do the dishes right after dinner. 
And then some people, they're like, oh, I don't care. They wait three days, and it's just piling up, and it's like, what do we do? Is that something that ought to split the church? Probably not. But we, it's the reality of just different people, the messiness of relationships. There are different preferences as well. Yes, there is. And all this needs to be worked out. And this is how we love one another. We consider others better than ourselves. Is there a way for the enemy not to use these trivial things to divide our community? And then there are the deeper stories of history that is accumulated. There are hurts, there's baggage, there's trauma. And that is where the Holy Spirit works the deepest in us first as we take that message of love and reconciliation and who Jesus Christ is to others. Unity in the body of believers in this body, that is Knox Presbyterian Church. I will tell you this, I've learned that unity is not a state to be achieved. Like you now have all these people who are of different, you know, anthropological features, different languages, and we're all together. That, that's not a state to be achieved. My understanding is that Knox is a very welcoming church. Knox is a very welcoming church, and one of the ways that you can stay this welcoming is to, again, understand that unity is a dynamic and a relationship to be nurtured. It's not that one time you have all these people in the room together. It's a relationship that you continue to cultivate. And it's a, um, it's a demeanor, a posture that continues to build up and strengthen, kind of like a tapestry, if you will. And all the differences that the enemy could use to split us, they are actually points of connection that can make this body stronger. So when we talk about this great commission that Jesus has given to the church, there's a vision, and this too is something that as a community we ought to be grateful for. Revelation 5.9 was read for us. There's a new song that is being sung, you are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. We're talking about the lamb, for you are slaughtered, your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And Revelation 7, 9, there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in, the hand, in their hands, and there was praise. That's the vision that we work towards. It's a glimpse. You are in that vision. Your people, whatever background and heritage you are, they are there. You are there. And that is how this story, so to speak, ends. It's praise and celebration. This is something in, in this Thanksgiving weekend to be grateful for. And so we all have, again, this individual story that God is being worked out in us. And I will tell you the truth, that might just be your most precious resource in connecting to the human world that is out there, in connecting to the human stories that is here. Not always easy, but anything that is worthwhile and that is lasting usually takes a little bit longer than a microwave approach. And for us to look at each other, despite some of the cultural conversations out there in the secular world, especially perhaps in the pop culture and the po political world, the church is different. 
It's not that, you know, we can't understand what's going on there, but the economy and the exchange of ideas in the body of Christ, it's a different way we do things. And so therefore, and so therefore it should be a different way. Sometimes we do mimic the world, but it should be different. I choose to believe that as we co- come, become closer to Christ, we are able to take all that you ought to unify us in all the differences that we are and see that there really is strength in the diversity of people that are made in the image of God. That's the gift that God has given to us. In addition to salvation, in addition to the Holy Spirit, it is each other. And that is why the diaspora mission is so significant in this city. Um, I was giving a seminar uh, in Dallas, and one of the gentlemen asked me about how do we reach a people group that is so different from us in language and how we look and the foods that we eat and um, everything. And I told them, this is your answer, you're third culture kids. This is a day and age where there's so many, especially in a city like Dallas, quite frankly, they're pretty multicultural too, especially in a city like Toronto. They have their own generational struggles as they grow up as third culture kids. But if they learn to harness that as something that is their lot, their story, you will find that they are very effective agents in the kingdom of God. And some of you are in that position. Right? And so again, to understand our individual stories and the great meta-narrative, to understand the stories that have made this community what it is over the hundreds of years that this community has been here, the decades that and to understand that uh, mission that Christ has given to us to go and make disciples of all nations. I tell you the truth, the nations are at your door. And so let us see this community with the eyes of Christ. Let us love with the heart with which God so loved this world. And let us continue to consider others better than ourselves, never failing to do good, especially in this body of believers here as you all go out to transform the community out there. Amen. Amen. There are a few questions. I'm going to invite the praise team up here as we get into reflection. Okay, so there are a few questions that I'm going to leave with you, the discussion questions here. How has Knox been a missional church and how have you lived missionally? There's a, there, what is the history of this church in reaching out to the community here? Who are the missionaries that this church sent out in the decades past? And how has this affected you? And what are the gifts that Knox community has to offer to those around you? Everyone's got skills. Everyone has a story. There's a certain personality that will match with somebody else. There are affinity groups, if you like, right? Music, whether it's food. There are connecting points that build up any community. And there's a lot in here, even if it's just this group here. You just have to want to love those as much as God has loved you. And so I'm going to leave this as a couple closing questions for you as we get into a time of prayerful reflection.